Hello, good morning. Welcome to Journey Church. My name is Scott. I'm so glad that you are joining us here this morning. Um, I mean, last week I said I was going to come up with maybe a little bit of a dance move. I'm going to disappoint people week after week with that one, but I think you'll be okay. Hey, this morning we're going to continue in this series where we've been looking at the story of Jesus as told by John. And you probably noticed last week that, that we changed the name of the series. It, used, it was Come and See, and now it is Come and and believe. And we did that intentionally, and we may even change the name again. We're going to be in this series for a long time. We've talked about it for almost all of next year. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John. And, but the, the reason we changed it at this point is because believe, like to believe and believing, it, it is a significant theme in John's Gospel. It's, it's actually a word that will come up in John's Gospel 85 different times at least a version of believe. Just for comparison, that word believe or a version of it only comes up 32 times in all of the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. So for John and in this telling of Jesus' story, we understand that, that believe and to believe, it is important. Now, I think we could agree that, that there are some of us that believe easier than others. We sometimes call them gullible. Um, but we just, we just believe. It's easier for us to believe, maybe to have, to have faith or to take a step of faith. I actually find myself, I believe that I'm that type of person. I believe pretty easy. And I'll just share a quick example. I was down in, in Arizona um, a month or so ago, and I, I needed to take an Uber right, from the airport to where I was, where I was staying. And I get into the, the car, and the guy says, the Uber driver says, okay, I've got some good news and bad news. And which would you prefer? And I said, I, I don't know, the, the bad news? He said, well, I, I'm almost out of gas. And I was like, great. The good news? I'm almost out of gas. So we were able to, and then, and then he goes on to tell me that, and that just seemed a little bit weird. But then he goes on to say, and my credit card isn't working, and I have no cash. So could we stop and, and get some gas? And would you mind putting some gas in my car? And so, I mean, I, again, I'm, I'm a believer, right? And I'm maybe a little gullible. And so I'm just, my, but I had flags, like red flags that were going up. I'm like, am I going to end up on Dateline at, at some point? And so we, we went to, the, I said, okay, sure, because again, I'm, I'm trusting and I'm believing. So we went and got the, went to the gas station, and he just said $10, and, and then he says, I'll make you a deal, like, you just put some gas in, and we'll cancel the Uber trip, and then you just, you know, make up the difference in cash. I was like, okay, so how much? And, and it's like 15 and so it was going to be a better deal for me anyway, and I was like, sure. And then so he cancels it on the Uber app, and Uber texts me, and they are like, are you all right? And, and I'm like, I don't know. Can you text me back in 10 minutes? Because they, they were concerned. But I, ended just, I won't leave you hanging. I did make it safely to my destination. It all worked out great. I am still checking my credit card receipts to make sure that he didn't like somehow steal my identity or, or whatever. But I just tend to, to believe people. And honestly, I believe that our default as, as people is, is to believe. It, our default is to believe. In fact, there's research that would tell us that that's our, our default, that there's this idea of, of a truth default theory, uh, that we would default to truth, we would default to trust, we would default to believing. Now, in his book, um, it's called Talking to Strangers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell says this about this truth default theory. He says, we do not behave, in other words, like sober-minded scientists, slowly gathering evidence of the truth or falsity of something before reaching a conclusion. We do the opposite. We start by believing. 
And we stop believing only when our doubts and misgivings rise to the point where we can no longer explain them away. I read this. It was quoted in another book, but I read it literally like the next day after I was riding that Uber. I was like, that is me to a T. I just started off by, by believing, but I made it. So, but I do think that, that believing is our default. In fact, I think that we were created to believe. And that can often possibly lead us into trouble. We might end up believing something and we make a mistake or we trust something that we shouldn't or trust somebody that, that we shouldn't. But at the same time, by believing in Jesus, by believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do, we are actually opening up ourselves to see and experience new life. We're opening up ourselves to see and experience the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, even in our world. Now, this will all make sense as we continue to go through this story, but if you were here with us last week, you know that we looked at John chapter 4, at the beginning of John chapter 4, but we're splitting up this story in half. It's the story of, of Jesus and the, and the Samaritan woman. And again, if you were here last week, we know that, that Jesus went through Samaria, from Judea to Galilee. He decided to go through Samaria instead of going around Samaria, which would have been the typical route for the Jewish person. And on his way, it's a, you know, a two to three day hike, he's, he gets tired and he gets thirsty. So he stopped for a drink at this well. And while he's waiting at the well, a woman arrives and he begins to have a conversation in interaction with this woman, right? He says, could you give me a drink of water? And she's like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. We do, do not get to get... Like, we do not get along well. Why would you even ask me? And Jesus says, you know, if, if you knew who it was you were talking to, you would know that I have the gift of God. I actually have living water that would actually well up inside of you and as, as eternal life. And, and she's like, man, if I could have that, give me that, because then I want to come back to this well. And, and Jesus asks her about her husband. And she's like, I don't have a husband, right? You remember this whole story? And that whole part, that part where Jesus says, you know, Go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, right, you had five, and now the man that you're with isn't your husband. That's a part of the story we didn't spend much time on last week. And it was somewhat intentional because there was other things that we were talking about last week. But can I step back into that part of the story for just a moment? Because typically when you look at this story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus, that becomes the, the focal point, right? It often does. Like, what about this woman? And what about the stuff that she did? Everybody wants to try to figure out, like, why was she coming to the well by herself? Why was she coming to the well at noon? And almost every commentary I read made it made us to believe that there's something that the woman did, that something that the woman was, was doing, either past, present, or future. It was a, a character issue on this part of the woman. I read, I came across someone this week, her name is Tara Lee Cobble, and she uh, does a podcast that's, uh, what's it called? Uh, it's in my notes. Oh yeah, the Bible Recap, right? And so she just recaps portions of scripture. And here was her theory on this woman. She said, you know what, I actually think that this woman was probably barren, that she actually couldn't even have children. And the reason that she was with five men is because that was highly valued in that culture, and that man after man would, would take her as a wife, she wouldn't have a, a child or couldn't have a child, and so then they would set her aside, divorce her, because in that culture only the men could divorce the women, and so she ended up with five different people. And, and 
the interesting thing is, like, we really have no idea. We love to try to come up with ideas and try to figure out, like, what is going on behind the scenes and in this story. But the only thing that we do know is that this woman ended up at the well by herself. That she was in, in at the, by herself in the middle, in the heat of the day. It was likely that she was there because she didn't want to be seen or she was there because other people didn't want to be with her. But we can't assume that it was because of maybe something wrong that she did. It might just have been something that she had gone through in her life that she still felt shame about. That she still felt hurt and pain about. about that she was experiencing exclusion because of. And yet she ends up at the well. And what she did know and understand at that well was that she was loved and cared for, and she felt the compassion and the grace of Jesus in that moment. She was able to understand that, that, that it wasn't about who she was, but about how much Jesus loved her. She left with a sense of, of maybe joy and excitement, understanding that she may have encountered the, the Messiah. Because it's interesting, at the end of their conversation, she says to him, you know, at some point, the Messiah is going to come, and he'll be able to explain all of this. And Jesus says, you know what? You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait and hope for a Messiah to come because the one that you are speaking to, I am he, and I am here now. And that's where we pick up the story today. In John chapter 4, if you have a Bible, you can open up there to verse 27. We're going to finish looking at, at the second half of this story between Jesus and, and the Samaritan woman. So it's John chapter 4. Starting at verse 27, and our tradition has been over the last few weeks is to stand and, and as we read this scripture. So would you stand with me this morning? You don't have to read out loud. You can just listen to me read. But out of reverence for the word of God, let's stand together. And here's what it says in verse 27. It says, then, just then, his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Now, I love the way that John kind of 
takes us through this, this kind of awkward moment, right? So Jesus is finishing up this conversation with, with this woman. And he's probably saying, like right now he's saying, I am he, right? Just as his disciples are showing up and, and they're just shocked, right? Shocked that Jesus is, is alone with a woman, talking to a, a Samaritan, talking to a woman. This was just a, a, a situation that would have been shocking in that culture. And yet they didn't know how to ask about it. They didn't know whether to you know, say something to, they were thinking it. John points it out in scripture. They didn't know whether to say something to the woman or to say something to Jesus. So they just decided not to say anything. And as they're making their way towards Jesus, the woman filled with, I believe, joy, excitement, and maybe even a little bit of fear, she just leaves her water jar and she heads back into the town. She heads back into the town that she had come from, the town that she had left alone to go to get the water from. And she said to them, come and see the one who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? And what I think is interesting is all of these people that have been likely ignoring her in this moment, they listen to her and they come out to see Jesus. They come out to, the, to this well to see and to listen to Jesus. Now, I want us to just pause for a moment. I don't want us to actually miss this moment in the story where here we see an, an unlikely woman who becomes the first person to proclaim the gospel anywhere. Could this be the Messiah, she said? Could this be the promised king? Could this be the anointed one? She, an unlikely woman, became the first to bring good news to people who needed it. As I read that this week, it, I, in my mind, I just was drawn to uh, the story that we'll read later on in John's gospel when Jesus is, is resurrected and another unlikely woman has an encounter with Jesus. It's Mary Magdalene, right? It's just an unlikely woman who is then sent to be the first one to, to proclaim the gospel post-resurrection with excitement and joy and fear and in the same in a similar way, those that she proclaimed it to, they came to see for themselves like what it is that they were proclaiming. It's a moment that, that we don't want to fast forward beyond. There's a significance in it. And while Jesus, or not Jesus, sorry, but while John doesn't state this directly, what we see in the Samaritan woman is, is a belief in Jesus. That she believes that Jesus is who he says he is and, and in doing so believes that he would do what he says he will do. That Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the anointed and the saving king. And here's the thing is that we talked about this last week. That by believing in Jesus, she sets, her free, self, sets herself free to become more like Jesus. And how does that look? Like, how does that look in this story? Well, it actually looked like the Samaritan woman, like, walking straight into town, straight towards the people that she probably should have avoided, walking straight towards the people that probably would have avoided her. We talked about this last week. That's what Jesus did when he went to, to Galilee. He didn't go around. He went straight through Samaria, straight toward the people he should have avoided and straight toward the people who would have avoided him. And this woman did the exact same thing, bringing the truth of her experience, the truth of who Jesus is to a group of people that likely didn't know or believe the truth about her. And yet we see that they were willing to, to at least listen, believe her testimony, to come and, and to see. 
And so let me ask you a, a question this morning. What is, your, what is your Jesus story? Because this woman went into the town and, and she told them her Jesus story. Like how would you finish this sentence? Come and see the man who, for the woman it was, the man who told me everything that I've ever done. Like, how would you answer that question? Maybe for some, that answer is clear. Come and see the man who, who healed my, my son. Come and see the man who, who changed my life. Come and see the man who opened the, my eyes to the sin or the, the shame and the, and the guilt. Come and see the man who rescued me from danger. Come and see the man who led me into new life. Come and see the man who heard my cry or who walked with me through pain. For some, it, it just feels obvious and clear. Like, I, I've seen what God has done through Jesus. I've experienced this thing. I can, I can share with you my Jesus story. I mean, it's similar to what we were singing this morning. Let me tell you about my Jesus. And yet I think for many of us, myself included, sometimes we, we have a hard time answering that question. Like, what is my, what is my Jesus story? Because I don't have anything what I f- would feel like is, is exciting or powerful or life-changing. I, I haven't been rescued. I haven't, you know, come out of addiction, I haven't, whatever it is, I don't have this amazing story to tell. And maybe you feel similarly. Maybe you, when you are asked that question, it kind of makes it like, I don't know. I don't know what my, my Jesus story is. But I want to encourage you and I want to encourage you and encourage myself because I feel like as, as I, the longer I follow Jesus, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I, I look back to see what that life has looked like, I see places where oh wait, Jesus did heal my heart. Jesus did help me to overcome an area of struggle or pain or shame. Jesus did change my life. Jesus did rescue me from from death. Jesus did lead me into, into new life. So don't discount your Jesus story because all of us who say we are following Jesus, all of us who believe that Jesus is the Messiah King, the anointed one, We've all experienced a, a resurrection. We've all, all died and, and are experiencing new life. As, as Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, all who believe in Jesus, that we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. In this life that I now live in the body, I live by faith, by believing in Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came and, and died for me. You see, I think... For us, we can feel like it's about the story. We need to have the story. But I think what we see in this story is that it's, it's not necessarily about a great story or about her story, but it's actually about taking this, this gift of God to the people who need it. It's about taking what Jesus called the gift of God, what he said was living water, which we could understand to be the, the Holy Spirit, the relational presence of God in our life, the, the Christ in me, taking that, taking him into the places that we know it's needed, into our homes, into our workplaces, into our communities, into our school, and into our world, understanding that it's, it's not just the story that we're taking, but we're taking the actual presence of Jesus. And we talk about this at the end of almost every service, how when we leave this place, we don't leave the presence of Jesus, but we take the living water welling up inside of us. That's what this woman was doing. She was so excited. She left her jars. She was welling up with living water and excitement because of what Jesus had done in her life and she just couldn't help but take it to the people that needed it the most 
And when she did, I think what's interesting is she wasn't trying to convince them. She didn't come in with a convincing argument. She just said, come and see the man who told me everything that I've done. Could this be the Messiah? And she just brought them to Jesus. She just invited them, like we said in the last few weeks, come and and see. And here's an opportunity to not just come and see, but to come and, and believe. And when the Samaritans arrived, when they arrived to, to listen and to see and to meet Jesus, it says that they, they convinced him to stay longer. They're like, no, we don't go. Don't just get your drink and, and head off north, but stay with us for a while. And we read that, that he did. And, and because of his words in that time, it says because of Jesus' words, many more believed. Many more accepted the truth of, of who Jesus was. They accepted and, and put faith and trust in him. They had this confident hope in, in something that might have seemed impossible before. And it began to just lay a foundation of, of fidelity and commitment. Those are all the things when it says that they believe. That's what, that's what it's meaning, all of those things. And so they spent two days with Jesus, watching him, listening to him, learning from him, giving their attention to him. I quoted John Mark Comer last week and, and probably the week before, but I, I'm reading a really good book of his right now. It's called, and it's, I just keep finding little quotes, but it, it's called Live No Lies, and I would recommend you, you check it out. But he says in this something that I've, I've felt like I've either heard before, but I'll give him the credit, that, that what we give our attention to, it will shape the person we become. What we give our attention to, it, it will shape the person that we will become. And do you agree with that? Have you seen that in your own life, that the things that you give attention to, the things that you give your time, your energy, your emotions, your your feelings, your attention to, they begin to shape you, they begin to to form you. You see, I know this from my own experience, and I'm sure you can agree, we give our attention to a lot of different things. We give our attention to people, we give our attention to entertainment, we give our attention to, to news, we give our attention to social media, we give our attention to sports, we give attention to our, our work, we, we, just, we give attention to a lot of different things and all of those things are, are shaping and forming us into the people that either we are or the people that we are becoming because what we give our attention to, it will shape the person that we become. Now... And that's really, it's for better or for worse, right? I mean, like, these people spent two days just watching, listening, and learning from Jesus. Yesterday, I spent two hours raking leaves and like piling leaves out. And, and luckily, it wasn't raining, so it wasn't so bad. But I spent like two hours. And in those two hours, I was listening to a podcast. And then once that podcast finished, I, I put an audio book on. So I just had something to take my mind off of the, the monotony of, and, of raking leaves, right? And here's the thing is, is both of those things, the podcast that I was listening to and the book that I was listening to, they weren't like bad podcasts or bad books. But when I, in fact, one of them was like about church and the other one is I, I actually quoted the, the book today. But the thing is, I, at the end of two hours, I, if you were to ask me, do you feel more like Jesus or do you feel less like Jesus? I would probably say I feel less like Jesus. I actually feel like a little bit like bummed out or, or frustrated or um, even sad in some ways, in the things that I was reading. But that there are things about real life, and I'm not telling, telling us we have to just step back and never expose ourselves to, to real life, but, but am I gonna give my attention to the things that are gonna make me become more like Jesus? Or will I give my attention to the things that are, are gonna make me more like the world or, more, or less like Jesus? We have a choice in the things that we will give our attention to. 
And so let me ask you just another question. How are you spending time with Jesus? How are you, as the Samaritans said, how are you hearing from him yourselves? I'd ask another question, and this one is maybe a little more, not pointed, but specific. Do you have a, what, what's called a rule of life or a rhythm of grace? And maybe you've never heard that term, but a rule of life or a rhythm of grace is just simply a, do you have a, a, a rhythm or a schedule of, of opportunities where you're going to place yourself along the path of God's grace? And that, that's super simple. It could be just picking up your Bible and reading it for 30 minutes in the morning. It could be just sitting for 10 minutes of, of silence and solitude, wanting to listen to the voice of God. It could be in prayer. It could be in fasting. It could be in conversation with other people in this room. But, but are we deliberately giving our attention to Jesus so we might be formed and shaped by his word, by his presence, by his words to us, and by the people that we're doing life with? Because the things that we give our attention to are the things that will shape the person that we become. And here's the thing is that for the, this woman, it was, it was the woman's story that got them to Jesus, right? Like, was, like, come and see the guy that told me everything I did. But it was the words of Jesus that would lead them to believe in him. It was the words of Jesus, it was hearing his words, hearing and seeing him for themselves that, that led them to truly believe. And then in believing Jesus, they were freed up to become more like Jesus. And I think we get a picture of that in this whole story. Because if we go through the, this chapter of John, John chapter 4, I think we could say that we see a lot of division in this chapter. We see division between uh, religions. We see division between like a social division, gender division, personal division, geographic division, all these different ways that you could split up people in this story and put them into a category or into a, a place to separate them from one another. You know, Samaritans and Jews, men and women, you know, good and bad, what, what have you. Like there's, it's filled with divisiveness. But what's clear as we look at this story is that Jesus' desire was not for division. I think we know that it was for unity. It was to bring them together, centered on him. Really, it's, it's what we read in, in Galatians chapter 3 when Paul says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have, been clo have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male and female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I was listening in, to another pastor share earlier this week, and, and he, said that, he said a statement that the enemy of the church is division. And maybe he's speaking of like the local church or, or the like the Big C church, I think either way, like the enemy of the church in our day and age, it's, it's division. And it's the enemy of this situation. And, and it's actually like the, the instrument or the tool that the enemy would use to get at us is, is division. And the antidote, like the, the way we, the countermeasure to that, we'll actually get to it in John chapter 13. So bide your time or, or read ahead if you want, where Jesus gives a new command where he says, love one another the way that I have loved you. This is how they will know that you are my disciples. This is how they will know that you follow me. This is how they'll know that you 
live in a different kind of kingdom. Love one another the way that I have loved you. I mean, I want you to imagine this scene as Jesus prepares to leave from uh, Samaria, to make his way, to continue the journey, to finish the trip to Galilee. I want you to just picture the, the scene that he was now leaving and compare it to the way it was when he first arrived. I mean, compare this picture in your mind, what it must have looked like as he was leaving compared to how it was when he arrived. Because I picture this like a kingdom of God kind of scene, a place filled with joy and justice, a play, place where people were experiencing salvation and peace, a place where you would, have, you would be able to receive compassion and feel belonging, a place where there were both Jews and Gentiles together, a place where there were both Galileans and Samaritans together, a place where you'd see men and women together, young and old, sick and healthy, sinner and saint divorced and married, all of them standing together in what Scott McKnight would call, I just love this phrase, a, a fellowship of difference. Not difference, but difference. Got it? With the T at the end. Like these are a fellowship of different people gathered together, circled around and centered on Jesus. And listen to the words that, the, that they, the Samaritans speak as they kind of wrap up this whole story in John chapter 4. Here's what they say. They say, now we have seen for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Not the savior of the Jews, not the savior of, of the men, not the savior of the rich or the, or the righteous or the religious, but the savior of, of the world. Now the Samaritans can say like, this is, this is my savior. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And this morning, we're going to, we're going to close by, by taking communion together. And so I want to invite you to, to stand with me wherever you're at. And as we prepare to take communion together this morning, I want to just read to you a, something that was written by a, a friend of mine that I feel speaks well into this moment of taking communion, this moment of, of standing together as even in a room like this as a fellowship of, of difference. It says, what brings us together as followers of Jesus is not our similarities. It is that we are all invited to the same table to confess our sins and to find the grace we need to live a life of love. We are invited into the waters of baptism where our identity is formed as sons and daughters of God. We gather around scripture to be shaped by the story and drink deeply from wisdom passed down to us. We gather around the cross, a symbol not of winning, but of losing our lives for the sake of others. We gather as the church, a community of shared life which has no borders and welcomes all into a way of being in the world that is marked by humble, loving mission and service. So as we prepare to take communion together, I'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the way that you have invited us to to this table. Not by anything that we have done, not by any position we have in life or by any acts or, or works of ourselves, but simply by your grace, by your love for us, by your willingness to come and to take on flesh to carry the, the, the burden and the, the shame of our sin to the cross, to offer us new life and new hope, not alone, but, but with you and with one another. So this morning, we, we both celebrate in, in sadness and, and excitement, similar to the, the woman who was probably left that place feeling filled with fear and joy. Lord, we maybe feel a little bit of both this morning as, as we come to the cross as we come to the, the place where we thank you for your, your life, death, and, and resurrection. And we ask that you would unite us as a fellowship of, of difference, that you would transform us as we seek to follow you, that you would fill us with your spirit, with your relational presence, and that it's that presence, your life, that we would carry into our communities, that we carry into our homes. Lord, I, we say that a lot, but would you even just change the way that we understand that the way that we experience it, the way that we live it out. Lord, may it not just be words that we say as we leave this place, but that it would be a life that we would live as we seek to follow you, that we would seek to follow you in such a way that people would see the presence of Jesus in our lives, in our words, in our story. Lord, we'll need more of you to be able to do that well in the days ahead. So we just ask for more of you, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, You'd fill us completely today and that you'd bear and ripen your fruit in us, the fruit of love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sing how great, how great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the I kind of picture the, the Samaritan woman in the story like charging out towards the town like with that like that living hope that living water welling up inside of her and I, I don't know maybe you're like me like that's not my feeling every day 
I don't know if I every, every day if I walk into leaving my house in the morning just welling up with, with the excitement of, of the living home, but I pray that the Lord would increase my ability to sense and to feel and to know the living hope that is mine. And I pray that for you as well, that as we take the presence of Jesus into the places that we go, we're taking living hope and life to those around us. God bless you as you go. We'll look forward to seeing you guys next week as we continue in John chapter 5.